Swallows of the South is a proud member of the RPG Academy Network. Hello, and welcome to Swallows of the South. I'm Quinn Wilson, storyteller. This week we're doing a special questions and answers episode, so don't expect this to be a narrative episode. We are seeing Lenny off this episode as Godwin transitions out of the show, and we decided that it would be best to mark the occasion by having a question and answers episode where we talked about a bunch of things including characters we like, moments we like, some things about our personal lives, and some philosophy driving the narrative structure of the show. I hope that you enjoy it, and because the structure today is a little bit different, I'm going to say up front that our theme music is new by Elvis Herod, and let's just get right into this. Hello, and welcome to Swallows of the South. I'm Quinn Wilson, storyteller. My name is Chanel, and I play characters of Arnold and Rizzo. Cool. That's it. I'm Lenny. I am the beloved Godwin and have also been Tulio, Nadia, and Rachel Ray in the Rachel Rachel Ray in the Flavortown mini RPG. I'm Alex and I voice for Ariston, Leah, and Anthony. I'm Josette and I voice Golden Might of the Dawn. And we all take turns doing uh, Qui-Gon Gin and Juice. Yes, indeed. So, this is a very special episode for all of you tuning in, as you can tell probably by the name of the episode in your podcatcher. This is a special Q&A episode. We recorded recently our last episode with Lenny performing Godwin, which you have heard. That was the last episode you listened to, and we wanted to take a little bit out of the regular podcast feed and do some questions and answers before we don't know when we might be able to wrestle Lenny back into this thing. We sent a shout out on Twitter and email for some questions, and I'm going to start with our Twitter questions, and we're going to go through those in the order that they've been sent. Some of these are directly related to the show, some of them are related to the characters, and I did leave room for other types of questions, but I don't know if anybody sent them. So this first spate of about 2,700 questions <laughs> comes from Richard KL at R. Kreutz Landry. Woo! Does the improv experience work against you in any way for the show? What do you do for fun aside from the show? Do you do any warm-ups? To that first question, does the improv experience work against you in any way for the show? Um, I'll say from the storyteller perspective, I try to be as receptive and yes, Andy, to the things that come up in the show when they happen. But occasionally, people will introduce facts or elements to a scene that are starkly contradictory to things that are in some way important to established canon in creation. If I can roll with it, I will, but occasionally there's a little thing that comes up and I have to kind of step in and break flow. And so the tendency to introduce things or escalate sometimes has to be reeled back a little bit, but I try to do that as little as is possible. I'm not sure how you guys feel about it from portraying a character on a more consistent basis. I was actually going to say that that would be the point that I would say is most different in regards to improv, and in which case improv can be a hindrance, is because it's uncommon for improvisers to have to stay with one character for so long. You know, you can do a scene for two minutes or even an hour and a half, but after that, you put those characters down and you can pick up new ones in the next show. And I mean, I I definitely have had that experience where I was like three episodes in, Godwin's voice is way too annoying for me to hold up forever. And still having to 
stick with that character. But that really gave the opportunity to focus on how can I make this character more well-rounded? How can I make them more three-dimensional? How can I make myself love playing this character week after week after week in a way that I've never done before? And so even though that was a challenge as an improviser to approach it, in a way, the podcast helped the improvisation. So that was rad. I've only done improv comedy like as a long-term form of acting i did like some like bullshit like bible camp plays which are like never gonna see the light of day but that's about (laughs) it so the hard part for me was actually a lot of notes that i get when i'm on stage which is like making sure that alex doesn't come through in the character i'm playing and if i'm getting that note for like a three minute character scene of course like i'm getting that note with the character i've been having for a while now like ariston so the hardest part for me is definitely like trying to shut off that connect with myself and the character and making sure i'm reacting to things that are how Ariston would react, not how I would react, even though, as you have probably heard, there are instances where that has kind of muddied and I've reacted to things as I would myself, but get into that later, I'm sure. I think um, improv has worked against me, I feel like, because a lot of times I naturally just find things like a little more comedic, and at times this is not comedic. And more dealing with more serious things. But even though I personally would also approach those things in a comedic way, I know that it's not like that's not how everybody deals with certain information in a certain way. So I do think like with improv, you um, you are allowed and encouraged to enhance and use those reactions. And I'm still very accustomed to doing so. I mean, I've been doing improv for like eight or nine years now. So it's like, okay, it's hard to detach from that and do a different kind of thinking on the spot. That's not what you've been doing for like such a long time. But in that way, I think it is interesting that the way that our characters kind of interact with the world of creation is really similar to I think how we perform as improvisers on stage Mm -hmm. like I always tend to try to make scenes more serious than they need to be yeah and And I always result to problem solving you are always just a delightful gem on stage oh my god if you all haven't Lenny buttering me up. Chanel <laughs> and uh, found one of her improv performances, you should because no. she's freaking <laughs> hilarious. And Alex is always the character that goes, wait, what? Yeah. And we get that voice from Ariston really often and it's such a fresh presence. Yeah. And and I mean, that's how you can tell that we all do improv with each other off mic is is those interactions between our characters on mic. It's really good chemistry. True to, true to that. Yeah. 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 And that actually brings up something that I think is interesting. You can see a little bit of that improvisational pickup between some of the characters that I portray as the ST and what goes on here, that sort of dynamic. But I also have an onus to portray some more serious characters in lights that you aren't typical of, I guess, improv comedy. But on the other hand, there are cases where I'll take a very serious character and someone who presents as being very, very serious. And this is really deeply entrenched in my comedy brand. Um, I tend to enshrine those characters in these very, very soft insecurities or anxieties. They tend to present very tough fronts, but the second their wall comes down, they're incredibly worried about very, very silly things. 
And there's also uh, an element where I try to be as facilitatory as I can to the improv mindset while I run this. But sometimes that means that things will come up or people will say things or introduce facts or elements about the setting. And then the onus on me is to integrate those into something that is supposed to continue to be a somewhat believable world. And that provides an interesting challenge that you don't necessarily have to live with in the framework of a three-minute scene. At two, Josette? <laughs> about the only thing I improvise are my pickup lines. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> squad goals. Next question: What do you do for fun aside from the show? Poop. Uh, I find that to be generally more of a soul-draining kind of experience. <laughs> no, oh, no. Chanel's in there like, oh, yes. <laughs> My I just remember thing. the first okay, line time. that Chanel said in the first prologue episode. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Which is that they they too. ripped their pants. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Why do I do these things? Because it's funny. Because you're funny. God. Um, what do I do in my break? I play video games. I read and uh, I goof around. Chanel's uh, really good at video games. I'm really good at goofing around. <laughs> really good at all those things. I'm a such a good reader. You guys don't even <laughs> so know. So good at reading. Go to the beach. Hang out with my friends. Do improv. Yeah. Like, Go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Lenny, what do you do for fun, RA? Oh, and sh- Alex, future RA. Hey, boy. Yeah, so, I mean, I I love my job as an RA, but I don't think it's what I do for fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like to, uh, uh, you know, uh, enhance the residential hall experience. It's my favorite hobby. <laughs> no, uh, I like to make music. Um, I sing and play trombone. I also love playing video games. And I love playing board games. And tabletop <laughs> games, somebody fight me in Settlers of Catan, like, any day of the week, I'm down. And I think probably the hobby that I've... Oh, I also paint. But I think mm-hmm. the the thing that I've gone out to do the most for fun recently has been bar trivia. I just love bar trivia. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, one of those things that I think reminds me of Academic League in mm-hmm. high school. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, always a source of joy for me. And so it's like, oh my gosh, adult academic league. I'm so fucking psyched all your with you, beer. All your random information is it's finally coming to use it's finally for a possible use. chance to win, you know, like a gift card somewhere. I won a $20 gift card last week. See, I'm telling you. It was awesome. Yeah, you need awesome. to come to my bar for Thirsty Thursday because nobody knows the answers to any of these questions. All right. Well, yeah. can, like, give us so, an example of a question. Okay. So one of the questions was, what were, or who was the first world leader to attempt to ban smoking? Oh, I wouldn't know that. That is really interesting. Who was Hitler. It? Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wow, I didn't know that. I don't think yeah. I would be good at this. Never mind. I was yeah, no. It's like pop culture because he ruined a lot of Reagan. shit. <laughs> no. Oh, I like, was gonna probably say Stalin. So yeah. maybe I wasn't that. Something <laughs> like I've, except yeah. the Russians needed cigarettes to the not die in the Questions will be themes like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But it's like that Hitler question that I just gave oh, you all. Dude. So what? like a lot of people show Who's up and they're like, this? "Oh, the most coolest guy ever." Aww, <laughs> like he doesn't Dave know is what really sex, cool. drugs, rock and roll is. No, he does. It's just Nicotine's like. A drug. Yeah. Oh, that's. Tr- oh, I. God damn. Yeah. I but guess. Yeah. That's one of the things that I do for fun is uh, on Thirsty Thursday, I go over to the bar by my work with my best friend and her super awkward boyfriend. Awkward in the sense that, like, 
we are awkward with each other. Oh, endearing. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, he's not endearing awkward like my fiance, um, which, you know, my favorite thing to do for fun is probably to hang out with my fiance. Yeah. We like to watch shows together. I don't know if you guys know him. His name is Quinn. He's super oh. cool. Oh, what, what shows do you guys watch? Obligatory answer. Oh, we get it. You love each other. <laughs> Wait, what, what shows do you guys watch? <laughs> so right now we're watching iZombie and My Hero Academia. That's what everyone's telling me to watch iZombie. Yeah, so it has its ups and downs like every show, but My Hero Academia is really solid mm. and they recently dubbed the first season so okay. if you don't want to read subtitles yes the oh. voices are like i mean it's okay but. but usually when i'm like getting sleepy or if i mm. turn the opposite way it's very hot and sometimes you know what i don't know why i think i can get away with this but i ended up like when i was watching hunter hunter and it's not dubbed i would just turn over and still like avidly listen but think i could understand what was going on by like, the tone of people's voices and then i was like who am i kidding and i just like you know Nice. To rewind. So that is the benefit of two years of Japanese is nice. that I can sometimes get the gist right. of it. And when I don't, I'm like, it's okay. I'll find out. I'll later. figure it out. <laughs> Alex, what do you do for fun? Well, what don't don't she do for fun? <laughs> that makes me sound get like hired as an RA. So, yes, I did recently get hired as an RA, which I was excited about because I thought that that wasn't going to happen. Can and then, we get a can we get can we get the longest yeah boy ever for Alex in here? <laughs> can we can we get that? Oh, for Alex? Yes, for Alex. Yeah, boy. <laughs> the mic on the computer just one line. Like for yep. seconds. Um, um that's but- vocal control. Quinn is so pissed as an audio <laughs> editor. What? No, that's fine. I'm not gonna touch that. That yeah, boy. <laughs> what I like to do for fun is I do enjoy performing improv. That's probably the thing that helps me with a lot of uh, anxiety and just you know, like I met some awesome people through it. Like all the people working on this podcast. I also write, so poetry and. Uh, occasionally like bits of fiction although I never finish anything and I play beach volleyball sometimes and I also really enjoy like watching and analyzing film I get a grand old kick out of doing that so uh, Chanel and I actually uh, went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark oh yeah and it was really fun and we, we were like into that. yeah we were we did we were in like a, a two-seat like lawn chair because like it was an outdoor chair, chair. And I didn't know it was going to be like that. And then I was just like, all right, Chanel, like, this is what's going on. <laughs> I didn't care. It was fun. All right. And then what I do for fun is participate in or produce about four or five other podcasts. I'm almost always working on some show. It's too much, probably. I also do art. I do a lot of art um, when I can. Anyway, sometimes I play video game. Jeez. Mostly, it's just boring content creation stuff. I also sometimes write games, and I'm working on writing up some like articles and stuff right now on um, game theory and stuff, because I'm just an abhorrent goddamn nerd. <laughs> then our next question, again, still from Richard KL, is do you do any warm-ups? And I can answer that in one sentence. Lunch. Lunch at Madame Faye's, yeah. That, that's how we get warmed up. Actually, sometimes Chanel likes to jerk off a little uh, <laughs> lightsaber. That gets her real, real Pumped. warmed up. I thought the sentence was going to end a lot earlier, and I was like, what show are you <laughs> watching? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So next in this it's big line of questions, awake. sorry, Richard, we're going to cut some of these because there's so many to get through. This one I thought was interesting. In terms of gaming outside of the show, do you feel comfortable going to game shops? No. <laughs> Why not? Um, With my experience in knowing like so little about things... I've found that a lot of people are judgmental or more like protective of their, you know, what they're into. And when they find someone who knows a little, little about something or comes off as like a poser or something, I've been like attacked. Yeah, gatekeeping nerds are shitty. Yes. And I'm sorry that you've had to deal with that. Well, yes. And um, it wasn't cool because it kind of turned me off from things. And I have tried not to let that, like, diminish my coming back to whatever it was. But I also feel like if I walked in, I would be judged because I've had a lot of people talk to me and they immediately judge me. And if I say that, they say, well, you don't look like the gaming type or you don't look like the type who does this. And I'm like, well, that's cool. But also I'm tired of hearing that. So I just kind of if if I go, I'm going to go with someone. I don't feel comfortable walking into a shop like that by myself. Right. Yeah. Um, Fuck those people. (laughs) Just seriously. Eh, it happens. I yeah. mean, I understand being protective of something that's, you know, been very important to you. And I can see how people are mainstreaming things these days and they kind of lose their essence in a way. But also you should never turn new new blood, right? And, and, and new people who could potentially, you know, bring light to, you know, other authors or, you know, people who have invented games that deserve the light that they need to get and the success that it should receive by turning people off from ever discovering it. I agree. I tend to be of the opinion that the more diverse voices you have in any sort of group, you yeah. only are going to have better results from that. You're right. only going to benefit from having a wide range of viewpoints mm-hmm. and experiences. And that is why I have both been lucky and have actively sought to curate a cast for this show. Right. That is people who do not fit into the typical straight white nerd dude mm-hmm. profile. Because surprise, we play games too? Yeah. Yep. I, I don't really go to game shops just because the nerdy stuff I like to buy is generally like movie or tv related so i i don't really i don't really play video games or tabletop but i can speak about the gatekeeping thing and it's just i do i have heard of it in in shops and i just hate it it's um remember at comic-con which is supposed to be like a place where we're all coming Mm -hmm. together there's this girl standing behind me in line she didn't have a cosplay on and she just looks at this other girl and goes like that's the shittiest sailor moon cosplay i've ever seen Mm. i'm just thinking like well shit like look at all the effort you put in like she didn't do anything and she just decided Mm -hmm. to like judge this person and it's the same thing with chanel like i get wanting to protect something that you care about because you know generally people were into that stuff were kind of on the outside at some point i know i definitely was but Mm -hmm. i don't know i just feel like once you start doing that you become exactly like the people who made you feel that way but it's different because Mm -hmm. now you're on the kind of top group but Mm -hmm. yeah it's not it's not really something i like to see but yeah i I mean i i can't really speak for game shops because i don't spend a lot of time in them see i really like going to game shops Mm -hmm. um 
Um, but I never have to go alone because on the chance that I wanted to go and Quinn couldn't come with me, I am also friends with John from System Mastery and I could go with him. Right. If I wanted one by where we live, I have our other friend, Alex, and mm-hmm. he plays too and I could have him come with me. Right. But I wouldn't ever go alone, which is yeah. kind of terrible. Yeah. Like, you should not want to go to a store alone. Yeah, that speaks to a lot of the problems in the community. And those problems in the community make me, as the person who is a white male, not really want to go. I tend to avoid game shops if I can, especially if I've just seen people be shitty there. Yeah. It tends to push me away. And it that sucks, because I wish that there was a way to curate a more healthy, active gaming community in san diego mm-hmm. uh, but i don't know where to start aside right. from like at my own table mm-hmm. i think that's the perfect place to start hashtag not my table yes <laughs> i mean i just yeah have had all the same experiences you know either like they're never good either i get totally talked to like i'm an idiot or like i've had someone hit on me in front of my boyfriend <laughs> because they were like oh my gosh a girl in a game shop i'm like huh I'm a human being. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, no, I've had I've had people give me that look of like, I can't believe you don't know like, what this is. And I'm yeah. like, all right, can yeah. you fucking chill for five seconds? Like, I'm trying to spend my money and now I'm going to take it Somewhere to else. Amazon. Yeah. Right. Motherfucker. And it's just, uh, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, Josette. Like, I would not go by myself, but I would go with a friend. Like, if I'm like, oh, I need to pick up a new set of dice. Like, yeah. I'm not going to go by myself. This is why I still don't have dice. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've got a spare set. Oh, um, I need fate dice. Do you have fate dice? Oh, you're playing fate? Yeah. She's, uh, yeah, she's playing on Orpheus. It's mm-hmm. a modded. Yeah. I will say right now that a dedicated format for stories like the ones you guys are telling is a wonderful podcast called Fake Geek Girls uh, with a Z. And I'm sure that they would love to have any of you on to talk about your experience as a girl in nerd spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that that shit's gonna be like a five hour long episode. Yeah, there it's great. I, I would highly recommend you guys check them out mm-hmm. and maybe get in contact with them because they're they're amazing. Are there any choices, character or setting wise, you wish you could make differently? Still from Richard. I think something I recorded that we haven't released yet because we haven't finished it was the. It's the one we did with Spencer. I would change her description. Some. Oh, yeah. We need to actually have a conversation about where that goes or what happens with that because we are at that level of the Patreon, Mm -hmm. but we might want to just, like, scrap it and start a new Halloween thing. Yeah, yeah. Or just because... I think her description, I would say, I would change just because um, a lot of times I realize when I picture a character, it may not come off as, like, what I'm picturing, but I'm not describing what I'm picturing, and I just describe outfits more then I describe the actual person. So that's, yeah, that's about it. She is a, a blob, but she's got a cute, cute little stellar outfit. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I've, this kind of goes into the bleeding thing that I was talking about earlier, but I definitely have had some moments with Ariston where like it was me reacting to a situation because uh, I don't know, like I, I uh, go to therapy and shit, but there's still stuff that affects me from when I was younger and being, you know, I was bullied and left out and like talked about. So Ariston get very defensive and I don't like that. He's not me. He's not supposed to be making those uh, decisions. So I'm trying to work on that. But yeah, I definitely regret like some of the walking away moments because they don't really make sense for him, but they make sense for me. So I definitely, uh, I definitely would like to 
get better with that in general. But yeah, sometimes it just happens and then Quinn's very supportive and understanding through it. So that's really helpful as everyone else. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, just it's already laughing. And I, I think she's going to be disappointed with my answer that I don't have a lot of regrets with Godwin. Really? Not even deciding that seven symphonious chords would go straight through your hand instead of cutting off a few fingers? Yep. <laughs> yep. It had its moments. It had of its being purpose. Fun, like mm-hmm. smelling. Yeah. It, it ended up being a pretty humorous bit. But in terms of Godwin being this just black hole of shitty decisions, I so very strongly wanted to make a character that wasn't me. And it turned into this character that was like making all these decisions that I hated as Mm -hmm. a performer, but was like, I have to do this because this is in his character. Mm -hmm. All of you might hate Godwin, but I can assure you that I hate him the most. (laughs) He is a shitty human being. And he's working on it, but he's not doing great. Yeah, I actually kind of appreciate that. There's some moments that were difficult on different levels of the table with Godwin, but I think that a part of the cultural dialogue that is important in the show is really, really poignant in Godwin. Mm-hmm. He represents a lot of, like, there's a lot of mirrors you can see between Godwin and just shitty, entitled nerd boys on the internet. You He's can like watch that, a lot of, given yeah. way too much power and just exploding all all of his mess all over everything around him. And there's some times where he gets put, put in his place, but there's also a lot of times when he's not. And that also speaks to the reality that we live in where a lot of times people kind of get away with being shitty. And mm. how does that affect everybody else that has to like kind of clean up those mistakes? And the fact that Godwin doesn't, and that's not something that I regret putting down as a player into the world, even though it is something that adds a lot of negative things to the world. It it makes it more robust, and I like that. I think, though, I often struggle, and and the regret I would have as a player is that sometimes I forget that A, Godwin needs to grow, and B, uh, nobody wants to sit through The Legend of Korra Season 2 forever, when the siblings are just fighting and it's just not fun to listen to or watch. And you're just like, what is the point of this? And and I think Godwin has been the person who who's perpetuating those moments to be a little longer than they should have been. And and I'm I, I get stubborn too. Like that's something that Godwin and I totally have in common is that level of of stubbornness. And so I hold on to this. It's not Godwin's time to grow. It, there's no canonical reason why he should grow at this point. And then Quinn and I get into the conversation where Quinn's like, well, it's not fun for the listeners anymore because they've been like bickering for eight episodes. And I was like, ah. So being a little bit more aware, not in in the world rather than just like Godwin's actions and how they affect the world, but how can I work to make content that is enjoyable while also making this character that's developing. Having that balance is something that has not always worked out perfectly. And so I guess that would be the thing that I've wished would have gone differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my biggest regret um, in terms of decision making, I think, came down to the way that I handled the stuff that went down in, I think, episode 19, where we first are introduced to Tawia and the whole capture by the realm thing. I was trying to juggle a lot of things. First, I wasn't expecting everyone except for Ariston to lose their fight. I was honestly anticipating that there would be more victory there. And in terms of trying to... um 
ensure that your capture didn't completely screw you over, I think that I took away a very good opportunity for you guys to make interesting, dramatic decisions that you were driving yourselves, and I regret taking that away. I felt like I had to make sure that the plot dovetailed back together with Ajax being teleported out relatively quickly, but I think that I could have handled it a lot better. Um, given the stuff going on with the publishers, if you had to choose another system to run the game, which one would you use? I'll say as the person who's running the game, I have a lot of trouble with that question. Um, part of the reason that I'm running EX3 is because I think that it is a piece of ludonarratively brilliant game design. I'm interested in looking at the Genesis system by Fantasy Flight Games when it comes out. I really like what they did with the Star Wars RPG, and I'd be interested to see how that could be molded to these kinds of stories. But if I wasn't running it in Exalted Third, I probably wouldn't be running it. He says that, but I think that he would be running it in D&D 3.5. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Any plans for crossovers, guest voices, etc. in the main story? Yes. <laughs> Wait, what was, um, yeah, we're gonna have, uh, Big Shrimpin' come in and, uh... Right. Be a warlord. <laughs> I like that name. Big Shrimpin'? Mm -hmm. It's <laughs> tasteful. Alright, and then, I know we skipped over a lot of your questions, Richard, but boy, howdy, did you ask so many of them. You got almost 40 minutes of this episode. They're good ones. Um, but here's a couple more from you, Richard, at Arkroyd's Landry. Before we move on to questions from other good listeners, do you have an overall story arc you're moving through with a definite endpoint? Yes. I've been very mindful of the arc of the story. Um, there's a lot sort of between main points in the Nexus that are very, very flexible. Lord knows that basically at every turn of this story, you guys have made decisions that have caused me to really question the direction of the show or the way things are moving out, so I tend to run off of a very loose network of narrative beats we need to hit. But we are building toward a definite endpoint. I wouldn't have set out something like an elaborate MacGuffin quest like this if I wasn't building it to a, a climax of some sort. This is a question that I think is good for the whole group again, which is, what's the most challenging thing about the setting? I think for me, the most challenging thing about the setting is not being as comfortable in it as Quinn is. I think there are a lot of times when, as Quinn has mentioned before, we try to build something into the world and he's like, that's absolutely not even possibly canon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we go, oh, fuck. And so I, I love the world that exists in Exalted. It's so, so vibrant, but I don't love how unfamiliar I am in that world. And so there's sometimes when I was, where I go like, oh, I wish I was playing like fifth edition D&D, right? Where it's like, all right, I kind of know it a little more. But I, I think I love learning about Exalted and I, I regret not doing that more independently so that I could do what I've already seen Josette do really wonderfully, which is just bring a lot. And, and I feel like Quinn is usually the one that brings a lot of things and we build off mm -hmm. of Quinn. But I wish that we had been able to, or at least, I mean, I'm speaking yeah. in past tense because I'm outie. But yeah, I, I wish that I'd been more familiar with the world. I gave you all the dang book. I know. I know. You turkeys. I'm busy. Gobbly, gobbly, gobbly. <laughs> that is a thinly textbook that has <laughs> like over a thousand pages on there. Um, I, I gave you all like specific bands of pages to read too. I asked you guys for like 20 pages. I did read those pages. Thank you. Thank a, you, Chanel. <laughs> there was a moment uh, before Chanel came back where I don't know if any of you have been in an English class where <laughs> everyone knows that no one fucking read the one chapter they had to read and the teacher knows it too. And they're just like still bringing you through the questions. So 
Quinn had like given us two weeks to read like it was like 20, 20 pages or it something. It was like five pages. It was yeah, nothing. it was like five. Oh, pages. sorry, sorry. I read it for you guys. Yeah, it was it was five pages, and we all get there, and I was going as hard as I can not to bring up that I hadn't read it, and then Adam just goes, "Yeah, I haven't read it," and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then like we're all like, and then Quinn just had that 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 professor look of like, "This is the one thing that I it asked you to do." It was worse than a professor. He was almost like a it. disappointed parent because a parent of three kids. It's different when you have like a classroom of like twenty or thirty, but when there's only three of you, it's like. It just wasn't that much stuff that I had asked you to read is the thing. It was definitely not 20 I, pages. We all felt like so bad. And like, I remember just like the first word. He was just like, buddies, you gotta read that shit I asked you to read. <laughs> anyway, though. Um, yeah, I also, like Chanel, did not read any of the book. I think the hardest part for me is that a lot of the improv I do, the characters I play are pretty you know, like modern and as, as like they're they're usually the ones who are grounding the reality or the straight man character as they call it. Not liter- a literal straight man, but they're just like the person who's kind of bringing things back down. Straightforward. And I do have a group that I do where we will do like older American history films. Not, uh, sorry, not old, older American, but but films that are TMC, like old. Turn old classic. Yeah, Turner Classic movies, which are older films, but those are still set in American history, which I have like a little more knowledge of. So I like that Exalted challenges my view of other cultures. Even though it's fantasy, it still helps me learn about different things and interact with them in a in a better way. And I feel like it was a good idea to kind of go in that direction, in a sense. But it is it is difficult sometimes when you don't want to do anything that is unrealistic or inappropriate. So I would say, though, that I'm very happy that we have it in the setting that we're in. So for me... It's the fact that right now we're in the north and the first campaign of Exalted that I played, we were in the Dreaming Sea. So I know a decent amount about that. And then the campaign that I'm actually running for us with our friends is in the south, which is really different than the north. (laughs) And I'm still trying to be knowledgeable enough about the south to run it like not even a fraction of as well as Quinn does because he kills it. And there's just so much more than what's in the book because the book with third edition did a lot of just like mentions of a city like it's on the map but there isn't anything written in it in the book so i have to like go online and find out stuff from previous editions because they were like we wrote a lot about that in second edition or first edition let's focus on this other area that we haven't written about and i'm like oh so i i'll actually kind of speak to that in my experience. One of the hardest things about the setting is that Exalted means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, There's a lot of different ways that people take Exalted, or that they interpret Exalted, or that they run or play Exalted, and you obviously can't satisfy everyone. Oh, are we talking about that uh, one comment on our... A little, like, I get some comments occasionally that are like, comments about the show tend to vacillate between this is an incredible, wonderful... Mm-hmm. exploration of exalted or this is nothing like exalted at all what yes. the hell are you idiots doing yes uh, that's what i was thinking <laughs> i read that and i was like oh wow so <laughs> obviously we we started the show very very silly and it's grown into a much more serious place um levity is a bit more central in the story again i would say but it's still very very serious and Sometimes that seriousness 
revolves around things like the party as young exalts not really knowing the full extent of their power, forgetting that they're not human anymore, mm-hmm. and rubbing up against the fact that they can do impossible things, and sometimes the fact that people listen to the show and are like, well, why are they worried about 500 soldiers? They can just steamroll them with no problem is understandable, but I think that it's an important part of what we're looking at with these characters. There's also, I would like to talk about that because there's also two things. There's one that some of us, when making our character chose not to be born this way, we're not raised this way, and, you know, are still accustomed to being these things, but they're also realizing that they are more human and down-to-earth than um, other exalted members might be. And with that, they deal with a lot of problems that they are faced in different ways. So, yeah, you could steamroll a bunch of 500 soldiers with ease, but also that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right thing to do because they have a different way of thinking about things and the gravity of dealing with 500 individual lives versus, um, yes, I am powerful enough to But then, you know, being raised, it's like, there's a reason why I wasn't born able to just steamroll 500 people, so. Right. But I would say my problem with the setting is not being, I like to make a lot of references, and I can't do that, and I can't reference, like, nuggets, chicken nuggets, and, like, you know, TV shows, which, where a lot of my things come from, and, you know... I mean, sometimes they still sneak their way and hashtag dog with a blog win. Yep. But uh, to build off of Josette's point, I also wanted to say something that I struggle with is trying not to go back to older editions material. Mm. I try to actively build out from what is in third edition and then extrapolate from there. I try not to look back. And I read a lot of second edition material, like a lot of it. So I have to put a lot of stuff actively out of my mind. Mm -hmm. And that can be a challenge for me personally. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'll ask the crew right now before I get to the next question. Do you guys want to go light or do you want to go heavy for the next question? Heavy. Let's go heavy. All right. Maddie K at Maddie K Ray, speaking of potential guest appearances, asks, what was the hardest Godwin scene to participate in for each of you? Well, as a listener, it was listening to the episode when Godwin was first dealing with the holding in his hand, because boy, howdy, was that hard. (laughs) Like, that is my least favorite Godwin scene. I'm sorry, Lenny. There were so many to choose from, but that one's it. (laughs) I don't even remember it. (laughs) What was so bad about it? It was just like super incoherent like it was it was just so rough because we were like i felt like we were supposed to be in godwin's head but i felt like maybe you were just really out of it and so like that's why godwin wasn't with it and it didn't really feel like godwin wasn't with it if that makes sense it's when he was like bumping into shit and Arison was like oh, oh when he woke up yeah, yeah that was yeah. a weird scene you're right yeah that that was rough to listen to like almost <laughs> as bad as the scene that happened between Kristen and uh, Karth. Okay. Harmonious Accord. Uh, that fight scene was super awkward. Uh, um, I don't I think I have, like, I mean, being the character that was primarily antagonized by Godwin, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I joke about it all the time, like, 
how Eris is not just happy when like Godwin gets told off like I'm happy too <laughs> and I, you know I, I like Lenny a lot it's just like you know and she she, she also doesn't like Ariston but she you know we're friends but we just hate each other's characters so <laughs> it's uh it's really hard to like pick one I'd say that there's like two that are a tie I think the most frustrating one first was when we were supposed to fight the realm people and Godwin kept trying to make them fight each other <laughs> and I was like, Arison's sitting there like, what the fuck? Like, you're, they're not going to do that. Like, he just saw Godwin keep trying to go this route. And it's like when you get the little wind-up toy, it, like, hits a wall. And it can't turn <laughs> around. It's just like, bup, 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 bup. it's like not going anywhere. And I think, I think probably the other one was um, recently where Godwin, like, flipped out on Arison for opening up about his mother. That was really tough, too. Uh, and, and then we, again, there was another moment where Ariston walked away and in that moment I can say that was not a, a bleeding moment that was actually a decision that I thought Ariston would make unlike the other times where Ariston has left that's been more of like a me- Alex reaction but yeah that was hard because um I never like to hear about people problems being minimized and stuff and that's the goal was to relate and Godwin kind of got it in his head that Ariston was being selfish which would be upsetting to Ariston especially because that was such an intimate de- detail ugh, detail of his life so those are the two two most difficult but honestly everyone says that they hate Godwin but he's the most discussed character on the show so he brings out a lot of yeah like there's definitely like some some good stuff in there and yeah like sometimes characters just are pretty rough around the edges but they can still be super interesting and dynamic too i feel like the best way to describe how alex and i are as performers on this show is is an improv example Mm. in which case alex and i have a hundred percent opposite opinions on our favorite games like every game that alex hates in short form improv i love and every game that i love in short form improv alex hates like even down to alex loving world's worst i can't stand world's worst but hey waiter all of those pun games those are my favorite i love and alex always avoids them like the plague and so we have so much respect for each other's performers but (laughs) <laughs> we just like different things. <laughs> I would say my least favorite uh, would definitely be when Ajax died and Godwin had like this like self-destruct vendetta, which is like I've seen friends who are very self-destructive and you just want to shake them and you're like, what the hell? Like, why can't I get through to you? Which is on a deeper level kind of thing. But also, like, Rizzo was also having that problem of, like, what the hell? Like, I'm here. Like, just because you lost one friend doesn't mean that you can just immediately abandon another one. And because you feel bad, like, we both lost someone. But I know that you guys were closer. But also, hey, like, I also need you here kind of thing. So you're like, but which was just difficult. You know, Godwin is stubborn. And Rizzo didn't have time for that. And I don't have time for that. So get, get, get it together. But he did. So it's fine. Well, I think that was really, I think that was probably one of, that was the hardest episode for me to record because that there was bleed in that. Yeah. A hundred percent. And there couldn't not be. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, I think it's okay to say that like we don't affiliate with Adam anymore. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, Ajax died in in a meta way like in an off uh off microphone way and so (laughs) (laughs) meta and so that that was a hard episode to record and i mean that whole arc was hard 
to record. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the hardest episode to record as Godwin was the one where he chose to kill Sessusman. Mm, yeah for sure that was also frustrating it was that was one of those moments where i was like damn you godwin yeah Ugh. and and you know feeling the entire table saying how about you just not do that but really as a character or as a as a performer knowing like this is what my character is going to do and i can't let what's happening off the book Mm-hmm. affect that continuity that that in character okay. decision making and i knew that in the end it would all be fine and well when that happened and you know quinn and we all there talked about like it that in all shows though. exactly um but i think the hardest episodes for me to listen to are the first couple of episodes because i was still figuring out godwin's voice that was really uh he he had not um undergone some some vocally aesthetically pleasing changes that made his voice tolerable so those are really tough for me to listen back to because i just cannot stand godwin's voice yeah yeah once the regular season starts it's like okay this is tolerable but the first couple are really bad and i'm so sorry right I think that for me, it's actually a a toss-up here between the scene that Josette was talking about and the scene that Lenny was talking about, (laughs) where when Godwin wakes up with the hole in his hand, he starts self-flagellating really, really hard. He starts beating himself up really bad, and I think that Tikal and Arya both tried to talk some sense into him, and this is very emblematic of the things that are frustrating to me with Godwin, or were frustrating for me with Godwin, or difficult, is he refused to see anyone's problems as legitimate, except for his own. He got a hole in his hand, and he was sad about a hole in his hand. Meanwhile, Forlorn Arya and Tikal had both literally seen 300 people over whom they had a network of important relationships and a sense of genuine stewardship over just die, and Godwin was too fixated on his hand to see past his own nose. And then with Cessus Min, there is something that was genuinely frustrating to me about the way it went down. Not that it happened, but the way that it went down. Cessus Min had no reason to live. She just didn't. And with a lot of effort and talking and figuring stuff out, you talked her into finally having a purpose for living again before killing her. And that is unusually cruel and <laughs> basically irredeemable. Valid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so now we get some questions from Spam Yikes. at Spencer Amrine. And I'm going to just read these in the best approximation of his voice that I can do. <laughs> um, that's Spencer from our Flavortown episodes and our eventual Halloween special. Y'all ever do drugs before you record for some extra inspiration, Lamau? No, you fool. Yeah, nope. Stone cold sober. Not not besides the High antidepressants I've yeah. taken. <laughs> <laughs> not not other than actually legally prescribed drugs. Although I did do an episode off them and that was fucking crazy. That was rough, but yeah. no, That should be a question. <laughs> you ever do any episodes off you drugs? You n- done your drugs? <laughs> I personally am a huge fan of taking Tainted Utopian before each session. Yeah, so next question. Has this inspired you to do any other writing? It's got me thinking about game design and stuff. Um, I honestly want to do a write-up for Jaway at some point, but that is a lot, and I don't have time. Um, I might put it as a Patreon stretch goal or something, though. Um, definitely, I feel like I would be out of my range and uh, not in my lane, so to speak, if I were to write about this uh, world or type of thing, but I... 
it does like inspire some kind of bits i think that we have like most improvisers have whenever they do shows or practice a lot of sketch writing comes from bits that have been done on stage so yeah i could say a few bits have come from here for sure for sure i think more than writing per se i think this is one of those opportunities that i have had on a weekly basis to draw i tend to spend most of the recording sessions kind of doodling out the characters that quinn describes and that's something that i really miss having the time to do and i'm glad that i have the space to do it so in a way it keeps me back into into creativity but not writing as much as doodling but i've always been the person that drew in notebooks and never wrote in notebooks i could never mm-hmm. keep a diary straight so in a way it was my kind of creative outlet uh yeah the show hasn't really gotten me to do any writing per se but i just enjoy being able to do a different type of performance with the uh, mm-hmm. pretty fucking great group of people so it's uh it's been yeah the show's seen us all through big life changes and pretty interesting to think about but yeah sorry spencer no no <laughs> other inspiration for writing not really great at drawing not really great at writing so not really unfortunately what smells I'm going to say, at this point, it's late July. It's almost August in San Diego, so it's hot season. We're in a room with no fan. A hot light is on. It's us that smell. The correct answer is actually big business. (laughs) That too, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Tomorrow is August. The capitalist fat cats. Yes. (laughs) What smells like big business? You know what smells? America. That's what fucking smells. (laughs) You all really grinds my gears. (laughs) All right. Do you think the deep state is real? That is, Illuminati and big businesses in secret collusion to control the world's governments. Yes, that's what fucking smells. <laughs> Jeezy, <laughs> crazy. No, not not me. How can you not believe it? I mean, haven't you seen Disney Channel? The Illuminati own Disney Channel. Y'all people need Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is in the Illuminati, so I'm fine with that. Sign up with it. No, I have a friend who used to sell cable, and they had a lady who was convinced that That was a thing. Oh, she's my best friend. (laughs) Okay, so Michael Pruitt at Targris asks, probably silly question, but given just how intense some of the RP has been, has that emotion ever bled out of character with the group? Yes. (laughs) Uh, I'll say this. When I realized that it was something that was happening at all, I made sure to sit down and have a conversation with everyone about Bleed and kind of talk about, hey, this is a thing that happens sometimes. And I, I tried to be open about the dialogue bleed and tried to raise a level of self-awareness and just a willingness to talk about it if we realized it had happened after the fact it doesn't always stop it from happening but i like to think that at least opening the dialogue has been useful in trying to figure out how where what why it has happened sometimes and how we can work with it in the future to maintain narrative cohesion as best as possible i mean i think i think i think we could speak comfortably in saying that like alex and i probably experience this a lot (laughs) (laughs) our characters butt heads all the time and it's so frustrating and we're both just like after the mics turn off but it's hard to leave that at home kind of thing or not at home but leave it in in the it's hard to pull away from the mic those are such high emotions that you guys are experiencing too (laughs) to like just drop and be like hey so do you want to get lunch after this like you're like you're not a good actor if you can just immediately shake that off you got to go through some kind of process to just actually detach from your character and you guys have always such high emotions i could see that yeah but you know we hang out outside of the show and Mm -hmm. we still come back every week so it ends up working itself out Mm -hmm. yeah that decompression for me is usually just kind of like chattering like a 
buffoon at the end of every session. I just kind of like talk a little bit about what happened or like where things are going or something just as a way to just be like, yeah, so let's, let's um, the emotion. Quinn uh-huh. somehow always manages to bring the most perfectly absurd YouTube video into the space mm. after mm-hmm. a heavy episode. He's always like, so uh, let's look at this, uh, look at this stupid video of a, 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 well, a guy shoving amiibos into his mouth. And we're like, fuck yeah, I didn't know I needed this in my life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mr. Ando of the Woods is still a <laughs> straight up banger. It's free real estate. Yeah, I. it was definitely hard. A lot of the times where Bleed got brought up, it was normally because of a reaction that I had. And I mean, uh, yeah, I'm pretty open about the stuff that I've gone through, but this show has kind of had me at different stages of my recovery for mental health stuff. So it's hard when you're you're trying to tell yourself that you're, you know, like not, you don't have to defend who you are. And then you, your character has to do that, like... <laughs> A lot. It's really hard. So I do. I did feel myself kind of going into that like same mentality. But you you grow and you start to become a better performer, and you realize that it's it's got to be something that's being fixed on both sides. I mean, you can't you can't just try and like shove it down, but you also can't let it come out everywhere. It's definitely a timing mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, I mean. I I would say that it's happened in other areas of my life, but this show has been really helpful and receptive and other places have not. So I really appreciate that. Um, So not so much with Swallows yet, but in general, when I game, if there's bleed, like we play Betrayal of or Betrayal on the House of the Hill or something like that. Oh. That game is so good. So it's like good. It's right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. It's great know. unless you are the villain every goddamn mm-hmm. time, and then it is the worst. But Quinn is lucky, and my way of like coping with bleed is I throw myself down on the floor and I shout really, really loudly, and then I roll over and pout for a few minutes until he's like, "Come on, we got to clean up," and then I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, "Okay, I'm done." Okay, moving from Twitter to an email from anonymous user. Uh, this is a number of questions, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit the ones that some of these I can answer really quickly, some of them are for all of us, some of them are a little bit more oriented toward me, so I'm going to bang out a couple real quick. How did character creation work? I basically asked everyone what they were interested in. I gave them a slate of some options, including their casts. I gave them their potential supernal abilities, and then kind of fleshed out what other areas they might be interested in being competent in. And then I kind of left them or asked them with some prompts to like flesh out who their character was. And I did a lot of the fleshing it out beyond there just to kind of get us to the table faster except for Josette, who has a lot more experience with the system, who mm-hmm. essentially presented a concept to me and then drafted a character sheet. Uh, did I run a session zero? And what did you, would you have focused on? Um, yeah, we had a big planning meeting at the start of the show where we talked about what are we doing in the show? What does the show mean? Who are our characters? And um, we basically have a check-in like that once or twice every season. We do it before and we do it at about the midpoint of a season where we check in, like, where are your characters at? Where are they developing? Where are we at with the plot? How do we feel things need to progress? What are your desires? Are things not working that you thought were working? All of that business. Mm -hmm. We are running a little long, so I won't get super deep into that. Practically, how do you track initiative? That is an interesting question. There is an interesting spreadsheet that I was using for a while. I can't remember the name of it, but I stopped using it because... 
of the clacking that it requires. Like I have to type on a keyboard to use it. And that just made the interface doing the audio stuff a little bit difficult. So I tend to use a piece of paper and I just scratch off numbers and then input new initiative numbers. It's sloppy, but it works. If you're running a game at a regular table, I would recommend looking up uh, an EX3 initiative tracker sheet. It is really helpful. Do you have any advice for a crunchy system like EX3 to role-playing newbies? So this is interesting because, for the most part, the crew coming into this was role-playing newbies. Joset has experience, and Lenny has a little bit of experience, but I ran, like, one game of D&D 5e for Alex and Chanel, and I think that was their only real experience with tabletop before they started this. And my advice is basically this. Start with the basic mechanics and try to get to know those. When you build a character... They are going to have a lot of powers, and that can be very, very chaotic, trying to track all of that stuff. Chances are, in a single session, you're not going to use all of your charms. Know what your excellency does. Know what a couple of your more important charms are, but also really just try to follow the core mechanics. This is a game that rewards you engaging with the narrative, even though it is very, very crunchy. So be bold, be dramatic, and if you're starting out and you're stumbling with mechanics, don't worry about fidelity to the mechanics. If you're struggling, come up with a sort of ad hoc solution, agree to look it up later, and then just run with this as is for now, and then layer in some of that more complexity later, because I think that it works best if you approach something like that in stages. And if you're looking for a good source on kind of debulking some of Exalted's mechanics, there is, it's like a nine-page cheat sheet, so it's about as intimidating as the actual thing but it was really helpful and i think that it's flint um and it really helped me at least as i was getting like running off the ground and i'm still referencing it for things when i know that i'm going to need them in the upcoming session but the thing that saves me is what quinn mentioned where if you don't know what something is just agree as a table for now we're just going to say it's blah and we'll look it up later and just make a note too any tips for creating interesting combat encounters for ex3 um there's a couple and i think the first and most important thing to remember with exalted is that unlike a game like DD, combat isn't necessarily assumed to be something that is happening every session it is something that is used as a focal point for drama so the biggest thing for an interesting combat encounter in exalted is stakes outside of the immediate will or won't my character survive because usually the answer to that question is a foregone conclusion usually your character will win they are an exalted they're very very powerful there are very few things that have the power to stop them so you want to make sure that you have interesting stakes that are writing on any given combat encounter. So make sure that you have an underlying question that that fight is trying to resolve. Will the circle give in to the invading forces? Will a character give in to their darker desires? Um, How much are they willing to lose to protect the things they care about? If you have a question like that, it can be very, very helpful to know where to punch up an encounter. I would also recommend focusing or at least spending some time thinking about the stage or the the set dressing for any given combat encounter. Exalted is a game that thrives on vivid, flavorful descriptions. If you look at the first big fight that we had, it was jumping between rooftops and running along the wood spider's webs and stuff like that. There was a lot of movement, and that can provide a very, very interesting element to a combat without necessarily needing you to track something that else that is deep mechanically. And then 
if you know what your stakes are and you have an interesting idea for a set piece. In terms of mechanics, you probably want to have one sort of central, powerful character that you're fighting, maybe two. Then you might want to have one significantly weaker, but still individually statted character that can provide some tension in the fight scene. And then battle groups provide an interesting obstacle to navigate mechanically, because if you ignore them, they can really junk you up. But if you spend all of your time just attacking the battle groups, you'll never gain initiative and do damage to an opponent. So that's my quick and dirty rundown of how to make a good combat scene in EX3. Just remember that if the question is ultimately, do they win this fight? Or if the question is, can they beat them? That's usually not going to create an inherently interesting combat encounter. Um, then, do you have a process for coming up with an interesting antagonists? I'm only halfway through catching up on episodes, but the number of enemies that the PCs developed various tangled relationships with is staggering. Yes, and that again has a lot to do with questions. I like to think about narrative arcs, and a big part of narrative arcs is looking at and questioning what are characters doing, what do they believe, what do they care about, and how can you challenge that? And so I try as much as I can to use antagonists as foils to the character's strengths or conflicts. Here is a character who exists to push a button with a flaw that we know a character has, or a struggle that we know a character has. Or, conversely, here is an antagonist who has completely overcome something that seems like a stumbling block for a character. What does a character who has no compunction about murder look like? Um, then I think trying to nest those characters or those questions into the context of the setting and the conflict that you're staging are very, very important. So you want to make sure that they have roots in the world, and then you want to make sure that they have an agenda. So once you know that you have these certain themes that you want a character to hit on, you need to make sure that they have a thing that they genuinely want otherwise. And then I also have a tendency to ask a lot of questions of my players, both on and off the microphone. That tends to tie people together in interesting ways. I'm a characters guy in terms of like my improv background. I've always been like a character actor, and I find it very, very easy to sort of jump into and play with the psychologies of different characters. It's something that I really, really enjoy. So I try to map out and play with what these people want or how they exist while using that to highlight either thematic relationships to existing traits of the characters or while mirroring or distorting them. Some guys are boob guys. Some guys are butt guys. But Quinn Wilson, he's a character guy. <laughs> Which is why he got all three. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um so again that's sort of my quick and dirty we've been going long here's another question to go out for everyone who's sitting here sweating their butts off what are some of the most fun or interesting intimacies among the characters so ariston has a i think it was i think it's now major but it was at one point minor interest in hearth eternal and next to it there there had been like a bit that Ariston had a micro penis, so we established that he he actually doesn't. That Hearth would have the micro penis, so Chanel drew a micro penis next to oh, nice. the intimacy, and then Quinn put in parentheses Hearth Eternal micro penis, and that's on my intimacy sheet in in a uh, bold. So, oh, Ariston also has a minor intimacy of dislike towards children, which doesn't generally get to be explored. But yep. 
Oh, that's going to be great uh, because Golden Light of the Dawn loves her some kids. Like, she's super protective of them and she adores them, which is a personal thing as well. Uh, my best friend has a seven-year-old who hangs the moon in the sky, I assure you all. Uh, honestly, we last worked on Intimacies our last episode and we kind of came up with some on the spot. Um, and that had to do with i believe it was yeah i think what i had reference to was about like doing what's right and not having people think that they're better than you or not believing that you're better than yourself and that's um that's also a personal thing too but i definitely look forward to uh kind of working and figuring out a lot more of those but um as far as things go that have been established with Rizzo that's the only intimacy that we've kind of worked on and most actually recently figured out for Rizzo see uh <laughs> in terms of intimacies and principles i have justice comes first my fists come second. Nice. And uh, I'm like looking that. forward to seeing how that plays out. Because Goldie that- does not like fighting, <laughs> but she is going to punch somebody down. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot which intimacy it was. And I'm sure Quinn remembers because we had like a very, very long off mic chat about it. But there was, oh, I forget what it was, but there was an intimacy that Godwin had towards something. And we interpreted it differently. And Quinn was playing an NPC that was uh, checking it or something. And then I'm pretty sure it was your intimacy toward Zhao Wei. I think so, too. And that. Yep. So so although I'm blanking on that moment a little bit, uh, sometimes even the intimacies can prove to be a long point of discussion um, in terms of interpreting intimacy. So that's always been kind of interesting, especially for Godwin, because he's so himself. See, I'm pretty sure that the problem with the intimacy was that Godwin somehow doesn't have an intimacy towards Jawe, which is a listener I could not believe that you don't have an intimacy towards the city that you got a hand through your hole to protect. He developed the intimacy, but it wasn't... My argument was that it wasn't there at the time. And I don't really remember it that much. I I don't remember what I had for dinner last night. Yeah, water under the shit bridge. (laughs) Yeah, but but the point was that interpreting intimacies can always be an interesting point of conversation as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and back to Twitter questions from Richard to end this thing. He asks, favorite NPC? (gasps) Oh, um... This was from Rizzo's quest, the the guy who helped us out. <laughs> the rice patty guy. Yeah, the rice patty guy. I don't remember his name, but he was probably my favorite. Zephyr. Yeah, Zephyr. My favorite unpopular opinion. I really liked Polly, and I want him to come back. <laughs> I actually enjoyed two recent ones from our trip to the north a lot. I loved believing, and then mm-hmm. I also liked the hot goss guy. What was... Oh, I love uh, your glip. Your, your glip. glip. Yes. yes, he was. I love Quinn does a really good job of doing these characters who have like these array of emotions that are just so funny because he's like clearly in denial that he wants friends and like what he's saying is not what he really means. So that was just hilarious to me. I also really loved um, Noah Oldman. He was great. <laughs> and oh, the two the two um, siblings that were trying to court Godwin for a moment. Twin oh. Horns Ascendant and Valorous Cattlebreaker. Yes, yes. But I think 
I also have to give a special shout out to our most consistent NPC, the waiter. Oh, yeah. Love the waiter. Love he has to put up with so much shit. Mm-hmm. Bless his heart. So I love the Bull of the North, um, obviously. And Talia is probably my favorite of the Sidereals because they are just adorable and I just want to hug them. <laughs> and then I really liked, oh gosh, it was Juniper and somebody else where Chanel and Alex were actually playing them. Oh. And it's funny, though, because the reason why I love them is because one of them says, we've been best friends for 10 years, and the other said, cousins for even longer. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's how you do it. That was awesome. Wait, th- who were they the fans? Who were they? No, they were the no, Scottish was, hunters. The Scottish hunters, you're right. Yes, yes, okay. But I also, funny. that does remind me that I did love cousins. all of Godwin's... Um, Cult fans. cult fans. Oh my god! I All of them were golden. Those. That was awesome. <laughs> and yeah. the uh, the the mask sellers. Oh yeah, were also great. <laughs> oh yeah. So for me, I really did love Juniper. Juniper wrecked my shit <laughs> in a very real way. And I love Tawia. I have a yeah. a lot of affection for Tawia. There's stuff that I like about Harmonious Accord and Hearth Eternal. Hearth Eternal was supposed to be a real scuzz bag and he just turned into like this soft gooey sad pile of love bug yeah and i i like that a lot he he's just a goober um and harmonious accord i think especially since he's shown back up again there's a lot there that i i definitely find funny on its face i also really actually liked cessus min a lot there was a lot about her that I wanted to explore more that we just never Yoink. got the opportunity to, but that happens. And for my number one fave, though, I actually think that I'm going to go for Exhortation Considered, who got one scene where she came in to talk about her advisory role for Godwin and just read him to hell and back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. And just as a performer and as a person, that was incredibly gratifying. <laughs> Okay, the nice. real Quinn is coming out now. <laughs> and then I'll ask a penultimate question. Favorite player character? Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and Juice. <laughs> <laughs> Does the storyteller himself count as a favorite player character? Are you having a meta favorite here? Ooh, I would also say Tulio. Oh, Tulio. I miss Tulio and Leah. I miss playing I, Tulio I just miss that also trio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I didn't, I didn't even like Leah. No voiced her. <laughs> Too like she's so boring. Um, I'd say Rizzo. I I think that the just the balance that Chanel provides as that character, and also Rizzo is someone who I would look up to as a person as well. And I appreciate that she is able to kind of she she has like a healthy perspective that is good to offer because a lot of our char- characters are like damaged. Like, <laughs> and Rizzo's been through shit, but she also doesn't let that kind of hinder her and she's willing to acknowledge her flaws but also be provide like some great comic relief which is you know not something that a lot of people give women credit for sometimes so i uh, i really appreciated to see that thank you alex yeah rizzo is actually also my favorite character when quinn announced the results of the character poll i'm sorry alex but i was like how the fuck did ariston win like <laughs> how did that it? happen what was the co- character the character poll? Poll? i did, I I did I a also voted for ariston <laughs> I did a poll on Twitter uh, 
ages ago asking who people's favorite character was. Well, yeah, I think I've been Rizzo had just recently be, been reintroduced yes. and people had been with Ariston for longer. Also, Ariston has the my whole family is dead and everyone hates me. So, like, of course, people are going to like bad like boy. Yeah, Hell yeah. Like, they're like, oh, we feel. I think a lot of Ariston's like a lot of people's likeness for Ariston comes from like the fact that they also probably pity him. But also everybody loves to hate Godwin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also have to go back to the previous question just to note that I will admit that I did love the um, the pet store owner <laughs> couple. Both of them amazing characters. Um, I also wanted to go back into that question um, real quick and say Anthony's dad. Oh my gosh, yes! Anthony's dad. Oh, yeah! Oh, fuck, yes! now I have to mention... Um, <laughs> The guy who Fitzgerald was the one who watched his grandma die. <laughs> oh Such my god! Such a great god, character because yeah. <laughs> he like he just like we're all going into our like our deep secrets and we just forgot this guy was there and just like oh, I watched my grandma die and the scene cut is great. I also really loved Lucian for sure. Yep, yep, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, Monster Hearts number one. Yes, <laughs> Monster Hearts was great. Monster Hearts was uh, so much fun. Um, but to answer the question that was uh, asked, I am gonna have to piggyback on everybody. I love Rizzo. Rizzo is a golden presence on this podcast. You guys. She's always like, what the fuck are y'all doing? And it's amazing. <laughs> like, we we needed that voice for so long. And to have it so, so unabashedly full and vivid is fucking great. So Aww. good. I love how much she can put Godwin in his place and still, <laughs> still really care about him and be his friend. And that takes a lot of talent as a performer to do and i think you do that really well chanel and it's great you've made She's- her work for it no <laughs> she's like you Ew. bastard i love you please just stop trying to throw your life away yeah i also am jumping on the rizzo train she's a very strong force for positivity and goodness in the show where we've had a lot of very conflicted sort of gray or black morally characters and rizzo's just very very steadfast and pure and i appreciate that a lot thanks guys and I, my, my dumbass said, Qui-Gon. <laughs> <laughs> right off the bed, no hesitation, Qui-Gon. You know, the one who, yeah, just yarps. <laughs> the one who d- just holds things and runs around. Honestly, second vote, Qui-Gon, though. Um, Can do no wrong. All right. Oh, I also love Birch, though. Duh. NPC character. Oh. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, who's the one that always comes back and is like, yo, you still got my bear skin. I love him, too. <laughs> <laughs> He's never getting it back. That is honey-faced cherub. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and and we forgot. Um, Rue? Rue. Rue. Uh, Paul. <laughs> Let's end it with a beautiful Rue note. Yeah. All right. One more question to see us on our way out. Just any last words? Any, anything what are you going to miss about Godwin? That's the question. Ooh. Can that not be? <laughs> <laughs> I actually think it's a good question. I, I have a genuine answer for it. I'm going to miss someone constantly making trouble because I personally often on mic love to clean up messes. <laughs> and that means cleaning up Godwin's mess. But also in the real world, like I just like to clean physically like I love to clean. So I think a way for me to embody that into Rizzo, because she's very much like myself, um, 
constantly like, no, nah, he didn't mean that. Even though he did, like, she's like doing damage control. <laughs> He'll be and right behind her like, no, I did. It's like instant <laughs> gratification. So it's like, okay, I, I, I'm keeping this person from making a lot of enemies and someone who's been with her for like so long since they were younger she's definitely gonna miss like having her childhood friend especially after uh ajax died which we never talked about as as her childhood friend but i guess she wasn't as close to ajax ever as she was to ariston i mean and uh godwin He didn't give as much as Godwin did. I think that's been well established. I think Godwin took a lot of risks and that's something that I definitely shy away from as a improviser on stage and in the podcast. So I think that that was kind of a cool presence to have is like someone just kind of like goes straight for the issue and and. Yeah, I think that's something that we'll definitely have to step up to the plate in that arena for sure. (sighs) Good old Godwin. Ugh. All the words that I could say. I'm going to miss playing him. I'm going to miss having to think outside of the box so much. Uh, he, I mean, he's such a fun character to play. I'm sure you could all tell I've had a blast playing him. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss being here. This is a cool space to come back to all the time. And having to take a little leave from it is a bummerino. R.I.P. Lenny. Rip. Yep. But- we'll be here when you're ready. Aww. Unless I get my way and we move. And she kills you while you're gone. Uh, that might happen too. Uh, Josette, what will you miss about Godwin before I give my final authoritative answer? Because it's authoritative because I'm the storyteller, obviously. So I will miss Godwin's art because, you see, nobody, not even any character that I have made, has the ability to touch something and so quickly have it all burn down to ash. And that is what I will miss about Godwin. (laughs) There's a bit of Godwin's propensity towards self-destruction that I'm going to miss. And that's because I think without Godwin and without Lenny driving Godwin, the show would never have found its sweet spot. It never would have found its voice. Episode 9 of the show, where Godwin deals with everything that happened with Ragura Vijay, is the episode where the show found its voice where it discovered what it was and there's a lot of that sort of continued definition of the show that rests in the choices that godwin has made and the things that he has done and the ways that lenny and he have pushed the show and um it's gonna be sad not to have that around anymore thanks for uh keeping him around this long thanks for vibing and keeping it tight 